0: Hey there, SCF Online friends. So today is the day of our special Thanksgiving offering. Uh, So last week in our online worship gathering, you saw a short little video identifying four giving projects, two that were kind of uh, in-house ministry projects and two that were kind of, uh, I don't want to say out-house because that doesn't sound right, but outside uh, ministry projects. So the inside ones, the first one uh, dealt with basically acoustics Uh, in our main auditorium. um, We want to uh, address some acoustic issues with some acoustic paneling in that big room. Uh, That's the room where we film the uh, worship that gets utilized in our SCF online worship gatherings as well. And we also want to address the acoustics, the acoustics in this room that I'm standing in right now. The sound is a little bit uh, bouncy in here. And the reason that we want to address acoustics in the big room and in this room where we do all the video shooting, the weekly updates, the sermons get recorded in here. It's literally a gospel reason. We want every where in this building to be a place where anybody and everybody can hear easily and well the good news about Jesus and to understand God's grace. And uh, so uh, dealing with these acoustics in the big room and in this room uh, will help both our in-person and online ministries going forward. Another in-house need has to do with a room in our building. It's actually my favorite room in the whole place. We lovingly call it the garage. It's a kind of a mid-size worship space. We call it the garage because it's got two large overhead uh, doors. Uh, we do a lot of stuff in that room. Everybody uses it, right? From the littlest kids, our youth, um, and our diamonds, which is our 55 plus group, use that room regularly. And it also gets used by our community. And so we we have some uh, uh, audio visual lighting needs that we would love to address in that space to make that space even uh, more uh, usable and um, to be more easily and better accessed by our community as well. The uh, two projects that are kind of outside, uh, one is Friday evening, November 25th. You'll want to like save that date somewhere. Friday evening, November 25th. That's going to be an evening right here with an entertainer by the name of Bob Cates. Bob is a Christian entertainer. Uh, He kind of does it all. Comedian, it's it's like a whole variety show. Uh, It's a big deal. And so that's gonna be here uh, on that evening. And that's gonna be an evening to kick off our, Advent season. So we love to decorate the church up for uh, for Advent. Uh, it's really, really beautiful. So that night is going to be the night to kind of like flip the switch, not like a Griswold. Well, we want it to be kind of Griswoldian, but we want it to work the first time. And so that'll be uh, fun to do that on that evening. And this is going to be a missional event. This is not just a party for insiders. It's not It's also not just for us to invite our Christian friends from other churches. We want to invite people, friends, neighbors, uh, work colleagues, people who do not know Jesus. We want to invite them to come and to enjoy this Advent kickoff, great evening of high quality professional uh, entertainment. And, uh, you know, we want to introduce them to this place, to each other, and uh, man, ultimately to Jesus. And so uh, that's Uh, One of the outside events. The other one has to do with my friend, Roger Young. You met Roger in the video last week. You actually heard from Roger himself. He has said yes uh, to the Lord's uh, leading in his life to become the new director for Youth for Christ in Owen Sound. This ministry is an urgent need in Owen Sound, and I'm so thankful that Roger has said yes. And this is like really fresh news. This is like hot off the press kind of stuff. So he's just getting started. And uh, Roger has to raise all of his own support in able to be able to uh, engage in this ministry. And so through this offering, we want to help give a real boost uh, to get that process off of the starting line, uh, a good boost toward Roger becoming fully funded. Uh, I would love to invite you to participate with us in today's special Thanksgiving offering. And um, you can do that either through our website or through the Church Center app. You can go to Giving, and then in the little drop-down menu, you can uh, select Thanksgiving Offering. And let me just say in advance, thank you for giving to the Lord for the work of the gospel through Sobel Christian Fellowship, touching these various projects, but even the Thanksgiving offering aside, if you support uh, the ministry of Sobel Christian Fellowship financially, I just want to say thank you. Uh, Maybe you've you've given uh, one time, or maybe you're kind of a new uh, giver to SCF, or whether you've maybe been giving uh, regularly for years, thank you thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord for the work of the gospel through this local church here. God is doing stuff. God is moving. He is touching and changing lives. And it's exciting to see. And it's a beautiful thing to participate together in, in um, financial giving to see the kingdom of Jesus advance in Sobble Beach and uh, the surrounding area. Well, I'm going to be back in just a few minutes. I'll get my computer set up and uh, I'll be doing today's teaching. So I'll see you then. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for joining us for today's SCF Online. And if you're seeing this uh, as it premieres live on YouTube, Sunday, October 9th, 2022, Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're having a fantastic weekend. And if you're uh, watching this sometime after that, I hope you're having a great day. And I hope our worship gathering today to this point has been uh, an encouragement to you and has been a blessing already in your life and uh, so as we come now to the teaching uh, portion of our uh, gathering, I want to invite you to take your Bible and open to Psalm 100. Um, so if you have a, like a Bible Bible, you can open that up. If you have an app of some sort, you can open that up to Psalm 100. Evan is going to have the, the words over here um, uh, by my shoulder. Uh, you can look at those, but it does help, I think, to have the scripture open for ourselves. That way you can um, you can look at it in context. You can underline or highlight or uh, make notes uh, for yourself. And so Psalm 100 is what we're going to be looking at today. And I don't often do this, but I've included... Um, The caption or the heading of the psalm. And the heading says, Psalm 100, a psalm for giving grateful praise. And it's actually that caption that sort of alerted me to uh, engage with this psalm for our online service today. I actually saw that word grateful. And of course, we're in a teaching series right now called Grateful. So certainly that word caught my eye, and I thought this is probably a pretty appropriate psalm to include in this grateful series. And of course, today is Thanksgiving, so a psalm of grateful praise, man, it just seemed like a win-win. It's a, it's a fit for the series, and it's a fit for the day. So, uh, Psalm 100. Um, this is um, part three Uh, of our grateful series. So we started off looking at a phrase from Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Paul uh, uses the phrase, overflowing with gratitude. And so Paul calls the follower of Jesus to be filled with and overflowing with gratitude. And he helped us to see that this gratitude is not, well, it's a gratitude that is tethered, not to our up and down circumstances, but rather is a gratitude that is tethered to the unchanging character of God, to his love, to his grace, to his goodness. And then in part two, we went back to the book of Exodus, and we were in chapter 35 and 36, and so um, we saw there the people of God, the Israelite people, overflowing with gratitude, and their overflowing gratitude revealed itself in overflowing generosity. And so today, as we look at Psalm 100, again, we want to think about this thing of overflowing gratitude, overflowing gratitude that reveals itself in overflowing praise, overflowing gratitude that reveals itself in grateful praise, as the uh, caption to the Psalm says. So I'm going to read these verses. I'm going to read them out loud, um, and you know what? I, I would encourage you to read aloud along with me, um, even if you're alone or if you're with other people. Just go ahead and read with me. It's, it's only five verses, and it's a, it's a phenomenal uh, psalm, Psalm 100. Uh, here we go. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. His faithfulness continues through all generations. We're going to uh, look at this psalm today, and we're going to look at it in uh, two main headings. Uh, Number one is we're going to notice the invitation to give grateful praise. This is an invitation. This is a call to us to give grateful praise. Praise. This is what we do. This is a, a call to action. This is what we do. We are invited. We're called to give grateful praise. And then secondly is the foundation for giving grateful praise. This is what we need to know. So here's what we're to do and here's what we need to know in order to do what we're called to do, namely to give grateful praise. So let's begin with the first point, the invitation to give grateful praise. This is what we do. And so as you think about this psalm, the psalmist is really trying to paint a picture for us. And and I would love for you to try and imagine the picture that the psalmist is painting here. Uh, Visualize, if you can, a, a resident priest... And this priest is in the courtyard of the temple and uh, he is welcoming worshipers as they're coming into the temple and he's welcoming them with verbs. And he's saying, shout to the Lord and worship the Lord and come before him and know who he is and enter his gates and and uh, give thanks to him and praise his name. So he's, he's welcoming all these worshipers with all of these verbs. And all of these verbs help us to see that this psalm is indeed a, an invitation. It's a call to action. It's a call. It's an invitation to give grateful praise. This is what we do. Here's what we see in the psalm that grateful praise involves joyful worship. Specifically, here's verse one. The phrase we see is shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. If you are um, part of an Anglican tradition, or maybe if you've been part of an Anglican tradition in your past, you may know this psalm as the Jubilate. Psalm 100 is the Jubilate. Jubilate is Latin for to be joyful. And that's exactly what this psalm is. It is an invitation. It is a call to be joyful. Uh, I remember Uh, first reading this psalm in the King James Version. That's what I grew up with. And the King James in verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. I always thought that uh, making a joyful noise was the contribution of the tone deaf uh, to the whole worship experience. And that it would be awful and sound terrible and off-key, but it's the heart that matters, and uh, so it's a joyful noise. I've come to realize that's not, in fact, what uh, Psalm... uh, 100 verse 1 is about, but rather this, this uh, shout for joy is a call to exuberant, vocal, joyful worship. This is worship that is not just heard, although it is audible. It's, it's a worship that can be seen and just kind of sensed in one's uh, expression, in one's demeanor, in one's posture. It's, it's evident in that way. So, so no funeral faces. No, um, no faces that look like you just ate lima beans or Brussels sprouts or even worse, olives, if you can imagine. And notice, too, that nobody's left out of this. This is a, this is a call, an invitation, um, where, where no one is excluded. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. So the whole earth should praise God. So this shout of joy, this jubilate, should be shouted by all the earth. This little little commentary on Psalms, this one is volume two. It's Psalms 73 through 150. So it's a little two volume set by a guy named Derek Kidner. So helpful, I would recommend it to you. Um, Very concise, but very, very helpful. And Kidner says here of verse one, he says that this verse fittingly claims the world for God. This is God's world. He is the God of all the earth. And uh, Kidner goes, goes on to say that um, you know, Jehovah is not just merely some uh, tribal deity for just the nation of Israel. No, he's, he's the God of the whole earth. And then when he talks about the earth, he points out in the grammar that, that this idea of the earth is a single entity the earth as a single entity. We so often think of planet earth as this collection of of continents and and islands and countries and nations and and tribes and tongues and races. But, But here the psalmist is identifying it as a single entity and that this whole earth should praise God, that it's only reasonable. That's the only reasonable fitting response is to... Uh, uh, proclaim uh, worship and express thanks to the God who is the God of all the earth. It's only reasonable. It only makes sense. It's only fitting. And then, um, you know, worship the Lord with gladness. Again, this, the psalmist' idea here is this is just logical. Think about who God is. He's the God of all the earth. He's the God of the universe. So it just makes sense that we would shout for joy to him, that we would worship him uh, with gladness. It's only reasonable. It's only fitting. If and if you think about that idea of reasonableness, you might think ahead to, um, to the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul in the New Testament writes a book called the Book of Romans, and. Um, in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans Paul uh, masterfully and brilliantly and and with stunning beauty just lays argument upon argument upon argument chapter after chapter after chapter arguing the uh, preeminence of Jesus and the gospel of God's grace and he does that for these first 11 chapters and then he gets to chapter 12 and he and he does a quick And he basically says, okay, in light of everything I've just said, in light of those first 11 chapters, I beg you, I beseech you, Paul says, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he goes on to say, it's only reasonable. This is your reasonable act of worship. It just makes sense. And so, Paul, there, when he talks about presenting your body as a, as a living sacrifice of cold, de- of, of course, that's Old Testament imagery, talking about uh, the imagery of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And, you know, if you think about all the uh, sacrifices of the Old Testament, you could basically take all of those sacrifices and put them into one of two baskets. Basket number one would be sacrifices that deal with sin. Basket number two were sacrifices that were celebratory, that were dedicatory in nature, sacrifices that celebrated the fact that sin has been dealt with. And as Paul beseeches us, begs us to make our bodies a living sacrifice, it's this second basket that he's alluding to, this celebration, this dedication. In light of what God has done, we offer ourselves um, joyfully and in celebration and in dedication to the God of all the earth to the God who loves us to the God who gave his son to bear our sins and in light of all of that doesn't it just make sense that we would give to him our praise doesn't it make sense that we would come before him with joyful songs and uh The psalmist's point here is this is just logical. It's just reasonable. It just is fitting. So grateful praise involves joyful worship. And grateful praise involves giving thanks. In fact, what do we see in verse 4? Notice this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's um, That's a very simple invitation there, isn't it? But we want to be careful not to let the simplicity or even the familiarity of this invitation uh, distract us from its awesome wonder that God, the God of the universe, would invite us with no appointment necessary to enter through his gates and to come into his throne room. Into His courts to give Him praise. That is an amazing, awesome, unbelievable invitation. And um, I was reading this morning um, from Isaiah, and so I don't have I don't have slides or, or notes about this, but reading from Isaiah chapter one uh, this morning, and I, I just wanted to read a little bit of this to you, reading Isaiah 1, I came across a phrase that I'm sure I've read before, but it hasn't jumped out to me, but it did jump out to me today in light of what we're talking about this morning. So in Isaiah chapter 1, um, God is speaking to the Israelite people through the prophet Isaiah. And so God says, this is Isaiah chapter 1 verse 12. So God says, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you this trampling of my courts and that phrase this trampling of my courts caught my attention today knowing that in Psalm 100 we're invited to enter God's courts with praise but here God is telling the Israelites that they were actually entering his courts and trampling them in the process to trample something is uh, careless it's it's, it's um, even clueless, perhaps. It's because of just too casual uh, an approach that we might trample someone. And that's what God says the Israelites were doing to his courts. And so what were they in fact doing that God would would make this, um, this statement to them? Well, let's go back a couple of verses. So this is verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now you might be saying, well, Higginson, I thought you said this was God speaking to the Israelite people. It is. And he's referring to the Israelites as Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, their attitudes and their actions in this context are more reflective of Sodom and Gomorrah than they are of the people of God. It's kind of like that time when Jesus, in talking to Peter, said, get behind me, Satan, referring to Peter as Satan, and Peter is not Satan, But in that context, in that moment, Peter's attitudes, Peter's actions were more reflective of the enemy's agenda than they were of a kingdom agenda. And here, similarly, the people of God are behaving and bearing attitudes that are more similar of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, what exactly were they doing? This is verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. So you get an idea here that this is uh, these are the Israelites engaging in corporate worship, but they're just they're just going through the motions. This is them engaging in corporate worship, but they're doing it casually. They're doing it. It's just empty ritual. They're just going through the religious motions. They're offering sacrifices. It's, it's, it's devotionless duty. And God says, you're trampling my courts. That's what I would expect of Sodom and Gomorrah, but not of you, the people of God. And, you know, I wonder... You know, I think about that and I wonder how many times have I gathered with God's people for worship where I've just gone through the motions, where I've been just way casual, careless, callous, clueless, carelessly trampling when I ought to have been joyfully praising. And, you know, um, during COVID, like during the, the periods of time, um, of COVID, where there were gathering restrictions, like when our building was closed, uh, for example, and you know, I would get people asking me, uh, "Were you one of those churches that closed during COVID?" And I always say, "No, uh, we 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 closed our building, but the church isn't the building. The church is people, and we continued to be uh, the church even when our building was closed." But during those times when our building was indeed closed, and I can recall um, you know, going down to our family room and uh, with my wife sitting in front of the TV on a Sunday morning to worship, and um, I had to be extra vigilant. I had to be extra intentional in that context uh, to be able to engage joyfully in praise. I found that it was so easy to be a spectator when worshiping from home. Uh, It's easy to be a spectator when worshiping in person. It's even easier to take that posture of a spectator when worshiping um, from home. And maybe some of you have experienced this. Some of you who track uh, regularly with us here in SCF Online, maybe you've experienced this challenge to engage joyfully in worship from home. Maybe you've learned some things. Maybe you've got some insights. Maybe you've got some things that you could share to help others. You know what? In fact, if you do, let me just say this. Please uh, make a note in the chat. Just type something in the chat. Maybe some things that you've learned about how to engage uh, from home in joyful worship as opposed to just being a spectator, uh, maybe you can help some others uh, with your experiences. Feel free just to put those in the the chat. This is like permission to talk in church, okay? Go ahead and do that. And so this invitation to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, it's a very uh, simple, straightforward invitation. But man, it ought to, of, of all people on planet Earth, it ought to be us as followers of Jesus who are most caught by the wonder of this and the splendor of this invitation to enter into God's courts with no appointment necessary. When Jesus bore your sin, and when he bore my sin on the cross, and when he gave his life for us, when he died on the cross, the curtain that kept people out of the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. Well, when Jesus died, that curtain was torn in two. And it was a powerful picture of Jesus opening up a new and living way into the presence of God by his one sacrifice once for all on the cross. And you know, when I think about that, when I grasp that, when I uh, uh, just allow that to roll over in my mind, Um, man, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of my well-being or my health or my bank account, I can embrace and I can celebrate what Jesus has done for me, Jesus who bore my sin and my shame, and I give thanks. I can give thanks regardless of my circumstances. I can give thanks uh, to Jesus. And you know what? Jesus has saved me. He bore my sin and my shame in the cross. He's freed me from my sin. He's given me new life. I'm free in him. And even if he never does another thing for me, as long as I live, he's already done way more than I ever deserve. And so I give him thanks. I give him praise because of that. Well, the invitation to give grateful praise. Grateful praise involves joyful worship. Grateful praise involves giving thanks. And secondly, here is the foundation for giving grateful praise. This is what we need to know. Know. uh, That's that's a verb. It's the first word of verse 3. Verse 3 says, know that the Lord is God. It's been said that knowledge is power. And here the psalmist wants us to see that knowledge is the basis, it's the foundation for giving grateful praise. Now, when we worship, it is more than just knowledge. Worship is more than just something intellectual. Worship, in fact, engages our soul. And you can think of your soul as having three parts, intellect, emotion, and will. Intellect, emotion, and will. Think of your soul as your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser. And all three components of our soul are engaged in worship. In fact, I think the best worship songs, the best worship hymns engage all three of those components of our soul, our intellect, our emotion, and our will. A good worship song, a good worship hymn, gives us a truth to think about. It gives us an opportunity to express ourselves, our feelings to God emotionally, and it calls us to make a choice, uh, to 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 take action, maybe to lean into Jesus or to, um, you know, to uh, to be determined in our following of Him or some other kind of uh, choice or activity. And so, worship engages us. Uh, intellectually, and and um, emotionally, and volitionally. Uh, all three of these are part of our worship. I think sometimes we are of the um, opinion that worship is just, it's an emotional thing, and it is. Worship is emotional, but it's not just emotional. It's not just emotionalism. Um, it involves all three. It's our intellect, our emotion, and our will. So grateful, praise, joyful, worship engages us intellectually, emotionally, and volitionally. But of those three, the psalmist highlights the intellect. He highlights what we know. And he says that's the foundation. That's the basis. It is on the basis of what we know that then our exuberance uh, can be expressed engaging our emotions. And it's based on what we know that we make volitional uh, choices. It's about what we know. And so the psalmist says there's some things you need to know. This word know, uh, let me go back to Kidner in this, uh, again, this helpful little uh, commentary. Kidner says in uh, about verse 3, this word know. Uh, Kidner says this word know is the idea of having firm ground underfoot. Firm ground underfoot. That is the essence of the word no. To have firm ground underfoot. That's really what, um, if you think of it, that's what a civil engineer does. Uh, so, a civil engineer, when determining where to uh, place a bridge or to place a building, there's some things that they just have to know. They've gotta know that the ground can bear the load. And so they do all kinds of uh, tests of the ground and they do uh, you know all kinds of calculations even of what's beneath the surface of the ground because they've got to know that that can bear the load. Like it would be a bad thing, right? For a civil engineer to make choices purely on the basis of feelings or emotions, right? To make volitional choices without knowledge uh, would be a dangerous thing. Like you wouldn't want a a civil engineer to say, oh, I think a bridge would look really pretty over there or this building, wouldn't this be a nice place to have a nice view of the water? And it might be pretty and it might be really nice and and to have a good view and all of that, but man, there's things you gotta know. Uh, You gotta know that the ground can bear the load And so as followers of Jesus, there's things that we have to know. And um, we don't know everything. I I certainly don't know everything. I don't know everything about God. I don't know everything about Jesus. I don't know everything about the Spirit. I don't know everything about the Bible. I don't know everything about pastoring a church. But here's what I do know. Once I was blind, and now I can see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was dead in my sin, but now I'm alive in Jesus. Once I was enslaved, and now I'm free in him. This I know. I know and agree with what the psalmist in Psalm 40 says, for instance, when he says, my feet, We're on slippery, slimy clay. I was in a pit. I couldn't get out. I couldn't get any traction. And then God took me out of that pit and he placed my feet on solid rock. And he's put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. This I know. This I know. So when your feet hit the rock, the rock of Jesus, uh, our mouths should just open in praise. It's about what you know. It's about what you know. What you know is um, the strength of the foundation that then gives uh, gives life to your uh, exuberant worship that engages you emotionally and, and volitionally. Well, what is it exactly that we need to know? The psalmist identifies a few things that we need to know. We need to know, first of all, that the Lord is... God, Um, that Yahweh is Elohim. He is the creator. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Uh, We are made by Him. Verse 3 says, It is He who made us, and we are His. We need to know that we belong to Him. This is in verse 3. We belong to Him. In the New Testament, Peter makes this point that we belong to God, and um, Peter uh, expresses this truth using kind of Old Testament imagery. Peter is kind of like kind of like what Paul did did in Romans twelve, where he uses Old Testament imagery of sacrifice. Well, Peter uses Old Testament imagery to help us see that we belong to God. So here's what Peter says. This is 1 Peter chapter two and verse nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's church. That's us. That's the people of God. And knowing that we belong to him propels our grateful praise. It propels our worship. You know, here at Sobel Church, um, we ha- we're we so blessed with worship leaders. I'm so thankful uh, for our worship leaders here at Sobel Church. And you know, I think the best worship leader is not necessarily the best musician. The best worship leader is not necessarily the best vocalist, not necessarily the um, the most charismatic person, not necessarily the most cool or the most hip or the one who most knows the most um, uh, current songs. I think, I think the best worship leader is one who engages with the worshipers, the one who just kind of facilitates the worship together, who, who, who kind of just, you know, kind of just says to the people, "Hey, are your feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ?" Yeah, so are mine. Let's worship. Hey, were your feet on slippery, slimy clay? Yeah, so were mine. How did you get out of that? God rescued you? Man, he rescued me too. Let's worship. Let's praise, right? Just that kind of, um, of mutual uh, experience in Christ and then expressing that in praise. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Notice, um, notice, the second half of verse three, where the psalmist says, "We are His people; we're the sheep of His pasture. We don't belong to ourselves." Um, Paul made that point in First Corinthians chapter six, verses nineteen and twenty. And so, Paul, uh, in the New Testament, writes to this church of Jesus followers in Corinth, and he says, uh, "Here's something you need to know: You are not your own." You've been bought with a price, so therefore, glorify God, worship God. It's only reasonable. It's just fitting. Given the fact that you're not your own, you've been bought with a price, therefore, glorify God. When you said yes to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you were redeemed. You were bought back. And you ceased to be merely your own man. You ceased to be merely your own woman. You are God's man. You are God's woman. He's invited you to have a seat at the family table. You now have a a whole new forever family, the family of God. And you know what? In all honesty, the family of God is just as weird and just as dysfunctional as your own family, maybe even weirder, maybe even more dysfunctional. But we're family. And as family, we need each other. And as family, we look out for each other. And as family, we're accountable uh, to one another. And as family, we praise together. Exuberant, vocal, joyful praise. And the psalmist says we we need to know this. We need to know. To know that God is uh, the God of all the earth that he made us, that we belong to him, that we are the sheep of his pasture, that he's redeemed us, that he has brought us in to relationship with Jesus. And that this is not a reason for pride. This is not a reason for passivity. This is a reason for praise. And we need to know this. And uh, so we need to know that not only the Lord is God, not only that we belong to him, but also that the Lord is good. He's good. You know, some of you may not know our pastor, Pastor Dave Brotherton. Uh, Pastor Dave um, is the lead pastor of Sobel Church. He's my pastor. And um, two and a half years ago, he uh, was diagnosed with cancer, a very difficult diagnosis. And so he is on long-term disability. But even now, two and a half years in, so often when he prays, he so often begins his prayers by saying, God, you are good. And it's a beautiful thing to hear Dave pray that way, and he means it. He means it. What is the foundation for saying God is good when our circumstances are really difficult? It's because the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all, All generations. You know, if I were to make a a confession today, and you know what, I think I will. It's good for the soul. Too often, um, my giving of thanks to God, too often my praise, my worship is kind of self directed. It's almost narcissistic in a sense. Uh, Sometimes my thanks or my praise has to do with the food in my stomach or my comfort, or my happy feelings, or my good health, or the weather, or my family, or my country. And don't get me wrong, these are all good things to be thankful for and to praise God for. But what if something came into my life to take away my ability to eat? Or what if something came into my life that took away my comfort, or took away my good health, or took away my family, or took away my freedom, what would I do then? What would be my foundation for giving thanks then? What if rather than being here in Sable Beach, Ontario, Canada, what if my life were lived somewhere different? Like Haiti, for instance. Poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. In a country that today is out of control and dangerous and chaotic. What if I lived my life there? What would be my foundation for giving thanks and for expressing joyful praise? Or what if my life was lived in Ukraine, war-torn Ukraine? What would be my foundation for giving thanks then? What would I say? What would I think? What would I feel? With whom would I gather? The psalmist wants us to understand that even even in those situations where we can't even speak because our voice is just so choked by tears, even when our hearts are breaking or broken, even when it seems like life is just kind of against us, even when our circumstances are really difficult and they hurt, even when people that we love disappoint us, even when we disappoint the people we love, even when we disappoint ourselves, that the psalmist wants us to know that still, in God's love, is the foundation for giving joyful thanks. That even in the worst of circumstances, still, the foundation of God's love is what enables us to give thankful praise. Joyful worship, thankful praise, grateful worship, praise that is tethered to his character, to his goodness, to his love, to his faithfulness, not tethered to our circumstances, but tethered to his character. Let, let me, let me close with this. So David, King David, in, uh, in Psalm 63, David finds himself in just the worst possible circumstances He's in the wilderness, he's in the desert, he's on the run, literally for his life. There are people chasing him who want to kill him. David lacks supplies, he lacks water and food and such. He literally has nothing. To make matters worse, um, the one who is leading the charge to capture and kill him is is David's own son, his son Absalom. Can you imagine a worse set of circumstances than that? And you might think that David has no foundation from which to to give thanks or praise to God. But in the midst of that situation, here's what David says. This is Psalm 63, verse three. David says, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David says, your love is better than human life. Your love is better than everything else that I value. And so this is is Thanksgiving. And, you know, on Thanksgiving, I'm going to give thanks for a lot of the same things that the people who were interviewed down by the beach said. You know, I'll be thankful today for freedom, for a house to live in. I'll be thankful for friends and family. I'll be thankful for a spouse who loves me. But what is all that to a person who lives in another country who is not free, who has no home, who has no job, who experiences food insecurity, who doesn't have clean water to drink, whose family is dead, What is their foundation for giving thanks? Or or, or simply a person who on this Thanksgiving day is alone. Or for whom their Thanksgiving meal is uh, to open a can of tuna sitting by themselves in front of a TV. What is their foundation for giving thanks? It's gone. It's gone. Unless... God's love is better than life itself. And it is. Let me read just a few more words of David from Psalm 63. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Happy Thanksgiving.